three-way podcast today with added special effects yes he said three-way <laughs> are we allowed to say that yeah so let's just say like off the bat here that we have a special guest reverend bridge and um it's an honor and i got jokes too what? what i got jokes too good good, good. <laughs> oh i do hear an echo now yep yeah well Welcome to the Echo version of our podcast. We tried to fix it before the show, but we've seemed to have failed. Yeah, so I've known Bridge a long time. She and I have been friends we're through social media, and I think it was 2015 or 2016 when I first took my first like group course with you. And it's just been a rich field of new and um, amazing awareness and growth through all of it, which is now culminating in my current participation in the Remember Institute and the the parent company. Um, I always mess this one up. So tell me the name of the nonprofit bridge. Well, they're now two separate companies. So it's the Intersection for Mankind is our nonprofit and Remember Institute is where most of the action happens at this point, yeah. all of our courses and everything. Yeah. And I'm really stoked to be part of it and that you're here today. And it's great that we picked this subject of wildness <laughs> to start with because you wild. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Been wild for most of my adult life. Um, interestingly enough, not as a child. Wow. So, you know, you never know. You never know what you're going to get. Um, I don't know. I, I, I tend to prefer the term free rather than wild. Yeah. Um, I love free. Yeah, there's some lack of control, lack of discernment, lack of direction that comes with, with the implication of wild, right? It's like out of control, but the way I'm meaning it today is the essence of earth based natural life. Oh, I love and that. The, yes. the context is we have become less wild as a, as a, as human beings. We're more mm -hmm. quote civilized in these boxes that we live in. And it's so true. to me, that's the idea I wanted to explore today. What is it, you know, what is wildness? And, you know, for me in men's work, it's like, you know, the wild man, right. The Robert Bly, sort of the wild man sort of mm -hmm. piece. But I think it's more than that. There's this animal aspects of ourselves that are about freedom, that are about creativity, unbridled creativity, 
right? And and play, ultimately play. Because if you look, like I love my cats. Well, I don't have any cats, but the cats I've had, <laughs> they play together, right? And you see, you see, you now are watching. You don't have any cats, but you love them. <laughs> okay. All right. My future cats, I love the way they play together. But I've seen big cats do it too. Like you, it sort of shocked me to see wild lions, like tussling around with each other. And, and that playful wildness is is um, something I continue to aspire to. Well, I think of wildness, honestly, as being in a, a, an alignment with nature because nature, well, and nature is not uh, what we would, what common uh, understanding of wildness, people think of wild, wildness as being indiscriminate and there's no boundaries, there's no rules. But nature absolutely has rules. Nature absolutely does. And we have sort of tried to circumvent those rules quite a lot um, in Western cultures. Um, we don't respect self-defense. We don't respect um, uh, negotiation. We don't respect reciprocity. And these are parts of nature. I mean, if you look at any other living thing, <laughs> you you see these things at play. Even plants defend themselves, you know. So I don't know. I, I just I I think that in our effort, here's here's my. Should I just say what I really think? That would be wild. <laughs> um, I define God as the uh, accumulative sum of everything. So everything, the sum of everything is God. So if that is true and, um, well, the way that we interact with each other is out of, out of integrity with that. And, and that is because of the conditionings of Western societies. Western societies teach us that God is some separate thing somewhere off in some other place somewhere. And I just don't believe in that. I, I believe that God is everywhere in me and you, even in the people I don't like. Um, God is everywhere. And so uh, that informs the way that I move through the world and how I interact with people. Uh, God is wild. That, yeah. And violent sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and, um, do you have a specific with self-defense that like a specific um instant well incident. i yeah i'm surrounded by martial artists i have a lot of friends who are martial artists jujitsu tai chi qigong uh, all of these very uh philosophy based practices and they are not about killing they're not about, um, of course, you can, the things you learn, you can use to kill. However, um, the purpose is preservation or conservation of life, not extermination. Right, I guess like for me, when I hear that generally speaking, us Western society do not give credence to self-defense, mm -hmm. I can't think of an, of any support in my realm of that being real well that's because you're a white man I, it's possible right i mean white but, men have the most 
right to self-defense of anyone. <laughs> well, are you like and- speaking about how um, someone who's of color and pulled over by police has no right, like if they start standing up for what are supposed to be given laws and rights, they could be killed. Well, my, my, I have a son who's 25. If you were to get pulled over by, by police and you know, you didn't do anything wrong and you question that with the officer, maybe you're in a hurry. Maybe, maybe there's somewhere that you're going to be late for and it's annoying you. And you ask them, what the hell, why did you pull me over? I'm in a hurry. <laughs> and, and, and they don't give you an answer. Um, and you may get, may get a little angry with them, maybe get a little snippy with them. They're not going to drag you out of your car. It's unlikely, I'll say. Right, it's highly right. unlikely that you're going right. to get dragged out of your car and end up dead. Right. Okay? Um, every, on average, this is the average, so you're not going to be able to go and find this as a as a time piece. But on average, every 28 hours, a black person is killed by police or vigilantes. So, and um, when a black male is defending themselves, there's a whole different, uh, just a, a programmed uh, perception of that, that they must be doing something wrong, that they must be overreacting, that they must be, um, you, you know, they're, they're what's, whatever's driving them must be dubious in some way. The conditioning and in our culture. White men I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm, and it's not even necessarily conscious. Like yeah. if you had a conversation with a white person about it and, and they're asked to, um, to sort of scrutinize themselves, they're not going to necessarily come up with, yes, I, I think that way, but in a split second moment, they might behave that way. And yeah, that's because of the con- conditioning. Yeah. Okay, the, but coming back to self-defense. Yes. The um, presumption of innocence is gone, Greg. Like if you come upon no. a battle, the the more than likely the sense that the, the person of color is the one who is out of alignment. That's the assumption that most people who identify as right. white. So I get make. that. But if so we're the right thinking- to self-defense is, or, and, and martial arts is uh, unequally applied in our subconscious. Okay. But earlier, Bridge, what you said was that and we're talking about alignment with nature. Mm-hmm. And you said a general phrase of self-defense is not given credence. It's not. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we live in what would be considered a, a Western Judeo-Christian, predominantly Judeo-Christian society. And one of the most popular uh, tenets of Christianity, of modern Western Christianity, at least, is the idea of turning the other cheek. Right. Right. Well, Um, in one of your episodes that I listened to, you were talking about um, the idea that a a person might still uh, practice unconditional love, even though they've been abused by a person, which is great. That's that has nothing to do with self-defense. I could right. defend myself against someone I love. Now, I know the three of us have right. a practiced Course in Miracles, 
And one of its foundations is to know peace, let go of de- all defenses. So does what that... Is what, is, what is peace? Um, I believe peace is uh, love and joy without a break, without any qualms or... What is love? That's a great question. The best definition I know is sort of me paraphrasing from the Bible that it's unselfish, it gives, it supports... It, um, love is wild. So love could not include love cannot include selfishness. Um, I believe it has to include selfishness because the self is a part of love. I would say so. Yeah. Um, what I described to you about God being and everything—that's the way I define love. That that we are one. That. You know, but that doesn't mean that I have to be nice to you. (laughs) It does not mean that if you're standing on my foot and I say to you three times, get off my foot and you stand there and scoff at me, that I'm not going to push you off my foot and you may fall down and you may hurt yourself. So I believe there's a Zen. (laughs) That doesn't mean I don't love you, by the way. No, I I hear that. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite Zen stories is the, um, monk in this Japanese town and this crazy samurai is invading the town and the villagers hear about it and they warn the monastery. Everyone splits except for this one monk in the middle of the road. And the samurai comes riding up to him with dust and fire and chaos and runs up to him and this monk has him budge. He goes, don't you know who I am? I can run this sword through you and not bat an eye. And the monk goes, don't you know who I am? You can run that sword through me and I won't bat an eye. And I love that. Like that for me is sort of a personal goal. <laughs> my, that's my yeah, character. I mean, that's a respect spirit. for nature. That's yeah. mutual respect for nature. That if if you um, threaten my life, you know that I'm going to try and protect my life, which could threaten your life. Oh, see, so threatening I threatening my life is threatening your life. I took it like he's so at one with God as you've described God, because I'm with that description, that he knows a sword to him isn't going to mean anything. That this body, if if this body's gone, he's at I think that's a that. very Western uh, <laughs> Judeo-Christian perspective, yeah. um, because it separates the spirit from the body as if God is not everywhere. God is only in your spirit. God is in my body as well. All three planes of existence are integrated. They're, they're not separate from each other. At least that's, that's what I believe to be true. And um, I believe that serves me the best is to honor and respect all planes of existence. Um, I'm curious, Greg, does the story end there? Yeah, that's the end. But right, so there's these Zen cones that we have that that form the basis of an energetic reaction, i.e., this sort of self-generating contemplation, where mm-hmm. we must unravel the internal awareness of the two, what the seemingly two pol- polarized inputs of the one well, yeah, wild, that's, violent that's samurai riding up. 
right? This is the point of a koan. It's not to give you the answer. It's to have you self-reflect about how you interpret the story. Um, what you interpret it to mean tells you something about yourself. It doesn't really necessarily solve a problem per se, but it does tell you something about yourself. So what, um, is, what does the story mean to you, Greg, since you brought well, it up? How- like, and I think it's in The Course of Miracles, too, that God is eternal. So anything that's temporary is illusion. And um, so yes. to me, points to that, to concentrate on the eternal. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason for for that to be the message in ACIM and it's a corrective uh, message. It's not meant to be the ultimate final truth. There's some correction that needs to happen where we have separated ourselves and because we've separated our, our in our minds, our body from our spirit, um, we tend to think we have to choose one or the other. And most people of course, choose the body because that's what we're conditioned to do, right? And the so, expectation in the story is that the monk is somehow going to feel fear and want to separate spirit and body and therefore defend himself or be afraid or reactive. And what's beautiful about the story is he says, well, don't you see I, if you run that sword, <laughs> right? Well, the other thing I respect is he's – He's saying, my strength is equal to yours. Your strength is fire and chaos and madness and violence. My strength is peace and calm and unmoving, oh, wow. unwavering spirit. <laughs> I that's didn't wild. get any of that from that story. <laughs> really? That's what I get from it. Because they're both carrying a sword. Why is he, why is he carrying a sword? It's no, the monk crazy. isn't. He's just sitting in the ground. And he oh, says, he's just sitting there. Got it. Okay. He, and he says, you could run your sword through me mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I won't bat an eye. Mm-hmm. So, well, he probably he, wouldn't. He'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if the samurai is really clumsy and he just stabs a leg first, you know, and a yeah. foot? Yeah, samurai so, and clumsy, that don't work. That doesn't happen. Yeah. As we dive into this conversation, I just want to address something. You know, I'm a very nuanced thinker, believe it or not. <laughs> so, and, and I actually appreciate and respect paradox. Two things can be true at the same time, even though they seem opposing each other. Um Part of the work we do with the Kabbalion and Hermeticism is this idea that um, that opposites are not separate. They're varying degrees of the same thing. So, you know, more than one thing can be true at the, at the same time. And I have a, I have a, a, a hard time with believing the idea that you can be um, aligned spiritually and not be aligned on the physical plane as well. I just don't see them as two separate things. They can be separated in my mind for matters of discernment. However, um, I think both are important. And that if we are not honoring and respecting the physical plane, then there's something going on on the spiritual plane. 
you know, by, by yeah. the, the simplified perspective that you describe, um, what we do to the planet then doesn't matter. What we do to each other doesn't matter. And I just don't believe that's to be true because we're here. We have this planet. We have these bodies. So we're meant to use them for expressing life and uh, the whole cycle of life, right? And part of that is, you know, for example, there are plants that have thorns. And those thorns, if you get too close to them, (laughs) they're going to get you, right? Right. Um, And that keeps those particular plants propagating. It keeps them... The vast unity of the universe and the ultimate resolution that ACIM suggests of it all working out is not the path to us bypassing what is relevant in the moment, the karma of the moment, and what Mm -hmm. it means to stand for something, to be a present representative of love, compassion, discernment, and in, in some cases, violence in order to be of service and in alignment with who I am and, and what I want to be in this life. I think what it's, yeah. And I think what it's, it's pointing to is our fear um, that our fear is just, uh, it's dysregulation. So um, to fear what happens on the physical plane is, is not what I'm encouraging at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm it's encouraging. It's also the matrix by which the control mechanisms in, are influencing. Absolutely. Us. So that's the key is is the installation of fear in people through doctrine and through dogma and social conditioning becomes the the nexus for disempowerment. Yeah. So I teach something called cross negation. Cross negation is that you play, uh, everything's an invitation, right? So um, whatever um, challenges or uh, projects or goals or purpose you find in your life, these are invitations to play games. And the games that we play, um, if we if we play them well, um, I really do think that you can find a lot of satisfaction and peace and happiness in your life. And w- what that looks like is that you play as if your life depends on how you play and simultaneously as if you're not attached to the outcome. Cross-negation. So... That, that I think is what ACIM is pointing towards is that you, you don't play as if you believe you can be crushed. You don't live your life in fear of annihilation. And part of the reason you can do that is a, that yes, there is no, you know, my body is a form, but what my body is made of is, is eternal. Nothing on the physical plane actually completely ceases to be it only changes form fear arises out of the intoxication with the body the idea that that is who i am and so when you transcend that that kind of dependency for the identification then fear becomes lessened because you have available to you an infinite sense of well-being yes and and what i've found in my own experience is that a lot of my fears just fell away because they weren't even, they weren't about anything real in the first place, but ultimately they were intergenerational trauma that had me um, afraid of things that weren't literally dangerous, but 
in the root of my of my fear, there was this fear of being harmed, fear of being killed, fear of being crushed. Um, this sort of uh, inherited feeling of uh, f- fear of of rejection, because at some point in our history, belonging was necessary to survival, right? And in some ways, it still is. So absolutely is, yeah. So yeah, so we have these fears that aren't literally uh, necessarily about uh, a danger to your body, but they are. But we're we're just a little bit disconnected from all of this, right? And and I just I think that a lot of our suffering is because we've been conditioned to not think of ourselves as having. as being an, an expression of God or as being a part of the collective that is God. And because our brains think we're separate, um, there's a yearning, there's a longing, sort of like uh, in any other kind of addiction where you're missing something real and existential, or you think you are because you've been somehow blocked from it or separated from it or taught that you are. And then you spend your life yearning and trying to get that back. I think that's what our need to control is about. Um, The need to control each other so deeply is about that. Um, You know, we have a lot of laws and rules in our societies (laughs) that are just about controlling each other, but they're replacing the actual consequences of our behavior. So, you know, if it were simply expressed, like I've done with my son uh, from a very young age, if you fuck with people, can I say that? Absolutely. We have the adult language warning on the podcast. Yeah. So go ahead. If, if you fuck with someone, if you, if you put your hands on someone, they have every right to defend themselves. So don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Or... <laughs> Take what's going to happen. Like that's nature. Absolutely. That is nature. And and that reminds me like with my son, when he was very young, like six or five, the word fuck got into his vocabulary and he loved (laughs) it. He saw the reaction. He was all about it. I tried everything short of any physical harm to change that. And finally I said, okay, just know if you use that word at a friend's house, you may not be able to spend the night there. The parents may Right. You may lose alive. friends. You may get in trouble at school. Right, right. So let's, you, you, it's your word now. So here's what could happen with that. But then think about as adults, how we think about this. Like we superimpose the rules instead of that. And then we have arguments about what actually is worthy of a slap in the face. What is worthy of, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like what, yeah. what's, a, what are, <laughs> instead you know, of actually getting to the nature of the thing and understanding that some things you, you, you're taking a chance, you know, like you might know someone right and wrong. Like this idea that we have to choose sides and be on the yeah. side that's the winning side or the correct side, right? Instead like of you may have a friend who's, who's a rapper. Yeah, you might have a hip hop artist as a as a friend, and they might say the n word in their rap all the time. And if you're close enough friends with them, they might 
they might even be okay with you using the word. That doesn't mean that if you go out in the world and you do it, that it's going to be fine. Yeah. And <laughs> I think just, uh, even just, you know, like Eminem is a well-respected rapper. He uses mm-hmm. the word, but I have a belief if he was in Ice Cube's company, Ice Cube would be like, oh, no, never. That, that you don't, Mm-mm. that's not okay with me. No, he would never. Yeah. And like you say, that's part of nature, knowing your environment, not an yes. imagined environment, knowing your right. environment. And, yeah, and sometimes and awareness. These, right. These superimposed rules oversimplify, dumb us down, make us yeah. less intuitive with each other, less dynamic with each other. And um, and then we forget to, uh, common sense. All right, so let me ask you this, because you are building these entities. Um, Remember Institute is the one I'm familiar with, and the other one you mentioned. So in building them, you're working in community closely with others. Mm-hmm. And how do you find that there are rules necessary to build? <laughs> You're you're about to take the uh, the heal thyself course yeah, in a yeah. few weeks, and yeah. um, the first week is onboarding. And in the onboarding, I offer a collection of practices and some rules for engagement. Those rules of engagement are deliberately manipulative, <laughs> on purpose. Consciously manipulative. And, Conscious. Yeah, and yeah. and. I use the word manipulative because it doesn't, it, it, along with most mechanisms or tools, the word itself is not negative. The word simply means that you're intentionally moving things around or adjusting things on purpose, right? So I'm creating an environment there. And uh, that environment is meant to foster exploration um, it's meant to make it possible for people to observe themselves. And so there's some rules. For example, there's one rule that you, you only uh, respond to other people's commentary with thank you. You don't offer them your opinion. You don't approve of what they say or or judge what they say. You just say thank you for sharing. You know, it's a respect for that other person who may have been afraid to share or, uh, you know, isn't asking for your opinion. <laughs> and and because this class is for people racialized as white, um, white culture, in my experience, does not teach people that. Yeah. It teaches a very, you know, that your opinion always matters. <laughs> An opinion doesn't always matter. about that rule is that once you set that kind of, level for everyone, then it makes it um, a space where people can come forward a little bit more without that fear of judgment. And then when, when you are willing to out yourself by saying the thing that is real for you, but is actually out of alignment with your growth and without, and your oneness with the, the universe, you then get the feedback that you need to unravel right. it and and neutralize it and 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 um, alchemize it 
into something and new. And it's not to be it's not meant to be written in stone and it's also not meant to say that if you step outside of it you're a criminal and need to be punished. And there there are natural consequences when people go outside of the this the container that we create. So you know, we don't really have to regulate it very much because people just follow it because it works. Yeah. I think um, that- and- Go ahead. Well, we're talking about wild, thinking of that and and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. violence and the whole thing. And the stories that are coming to my mind right now, like the one that's prominent is this woman who a gentleman murdered her son. Mm-hmm. And while he was in jail, she befriended him. Mm-hmm. And now when I saw the story, they were neighbors living right next to each other. And she, in essence, had taken on the matriarch in his life. Mm-hmm. And there was so much love. And one thing I thought about is the her power to be able mm-hmm. to come to that place of forgiveness, to truly love this gentleman, and then his own ability to receive it. So those are the stories that resonate for me personally. I know, because they're so nice, right? They well, go against... Uh, human nature. Yes. So, so yes, this is wonderful. (laughs) And, um, she doesn't owe him that. Absolutely. It was a choice. Absolutely. It's not a right or wrong issue. And she didn't do it for him. She did it for her own peace of mind. And that's a personal choice. And for everybody, that's not the thing that would give them peace of mind. Well, that's what I guess I see my work as that more and more I am aligned with the wild, with nature, mm-hmm. so that my choices resonate with God, as mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. described your God. I like that description you brought up earlier. So, yeah. I, I think about um, forgiveness as being self care, not about absolving the other person. It's not about um, removing them from the exposure to consequences. It's not protecting them from the outcomes of their behavior. It is simply um, discontinuing in myself the belief that I am permanently harmed by this. That is what forgiveness is to me. And that can be even just about a circumstance, a thing that has happened that didn't involve another person even. I can forgive a circumstance so that I can move on. Yeah. that's forgiveness for me. What just happened while listening to you is I watched myself and I felt pain mm. that, you know, like, okay, if I'm forgiven, I need to acknowledge my pain. What came mm. in, it's my male ego. Like, I don't want that pain. No, I'm better mm. than you. I forgive you. Mm-hmm. So I saw how my belief of forgiving another person is circumventing my experience of pain. Well, it's it's a it's a, a perspective that because you were harmed, you are righteous and the other person is unrighteous and needs you to save them. They can only save themselves. Yeah. They can only absolve themselves by restoring their integrity as best they can. And, you know, I mean, sometimes kindness to a person will and, and this is unconventional, of course, because people don't think this way. So, yes, it's great if people can find the kindness and the compassion to embrace someone and and um, 
you know, if that helps that person to recover whatever's going on with them that they would offend or harm another person, then that's wonderful. Um, and it disrupts cycles, right? That is not always the case. It, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, so, sometimes people fall into that sort of Stockholm syndrome of thing where it's easier to go back into the trauma relationship and to behave again in that that way, even though it's causing harm because they don't actually know how to get out from under it. And so they perpetuate yeah. the disintegration, they perpetuate the oppression, and neither party actually breaks free of the karma of the two roles that have been brought in. The other thing that's been... That's been on my mind is this idea that we're at this point in human um, history where this the things that have been handed down, the conditioning that has been handed down often has the name of God attached to it, (laughs) because for years, various religions have tried to probably, you know, help. They were trying to be helpful ultimately at the beginning, but they've they've brought in these rule sets as a result and given God a name and and a process and. My understanding is now with the way that physics and science and our awareness of, of the truth of, of the natural world and the creation is that we're now reaching the point where we can see God through another lens, where we can see God in its true wildness without all of the necessity for all of the rules like the Ten Commandments and all of these things that are were there to sort of help us learn like children. But which inevitably became um, straitjackets, like our strong suits became our straitjackets, to use a landmark term. And so well, here yeah, we are at the, apex of, at the apex of human evolution, where freedom and wildness is actually our legacy. The idea that we are all just fine the way we're created, and there's this possibility for harmony that exists. And you can see this in the echo of indigenous populations and the way that they lived harmoniously and other populations. I'm I'm thinking about that island where nobody can even step foot on the beach. Those people have been there for thousands of years and survive on an island alone with no technology, no innovation uh, from the West, no Christianity, no organized religion at all. Who knows what their mysticism is, but uh, they don't, you cannot even approach. They will shoot you with arrows. You will die. (laughs) And, and there are people who try anyway, because, that's what Western people do, <laughs> you know, like yeah, the indoctrination of colonization. Yeah. Yeah. This mentality Someone of just in the last year tried and ended up dead on the beach. Hmm. And is that the island in Hawaii? No, no. I believe this is uh, off the coast of Africa somewhere. Okay. Or Southeast Asia. I, don't get me to lion. I don't know. <laughs> um, <It's> fantasy island. <laughs> or nightmare island. <laughs> I mean, for, for them, they're, they're protecting their peace. Right. Right. Uh, doesn't seem very peaceful to shoot arrows at strangers who might land on your beach, but they might come with diseases. I bet you no, nobody died of COVID on that island. I bet you they don't have uh, any of the things that we're trying to fix with, with um with vaccines 
Right. <laughs> right? So uh, there's no school shoot. Nobody's killing the children. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yes, that is a violent act that even if you approach, if you approach in a small, on a, uh, in a dinghy, <laughs> before you even get to shore, they're going to shoot arrows at you. And, and yes, that's violent, but in the bigger picture of their existence, they're probably way less violent than we are. So, I mean, a hurricane is violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a tornado is violent. And and guess what we do in this country? The fundamentalists, when those things happen, they blame it on... Uh, homosexuals. Homosexuals, uh, people of color, immigrants, uh, you know, anything that goes outside of Christian religious, uh, I'm going to say real specific, Western white supremacist, settler colonialist Christian <laughs> doctrine, because Christianity did not start as a religion. It was mysticism, right? Judaism started out as mysticism. That's what the Kabbalah is, which is very closely associated with the Kabbalion. They're, you can tell that in the phonetics of it. Kabbalah and Kabbalion, they're very closely related. And if you look at both of those, all of the the doctrines and principles in there are also very, very, very closely related to physics, Uh, the the science of everything. So there's that. We just didn't have a lot of common basis for communicating these things. And we've been evolving that through the years. And then various power matrices have driven under the availability of that information in order to, to maintain their power over. And in that, they've forgotten and, and failed to recognize the inherent power of with, of our unity, of what we can do together is infinitely more um, viable. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we used power. to know it. It's right. not, this is not new. We used to know this. Um, people used to pilgrim to pilgrimage from all different uh cultures to Africa to learn from the scribes of Egypt because they were so far advanced with all of their science and technology. And uh, I'm, and this is, you know, leadership from Buddhism, um, leadership from Christian mysticism, Judaism or Kabbalah, um, Sufi and, and Sunni uh, Islam also. So, and all the pagan religions, if you really look at them, they're all, Direct mirrors of that um, Christianity, the 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 story of Christ and the the uh, Virgin Mary is identical to the story of of Horus and the the Virgin Mother of Horus. Um, same time frame and everything. Even though I think that those time frames are are. Deliberate. There's a movie called The Rock Star and the Mullah, which is about um, um, an Islamic rock star who goes home to Pakistan and um, goes back to his culture where they're, they're not allowed to listen to any kind of music other than the chants, the recital of the Quran. And um, he speaks to the, the religious leaders and he speaks to the the political leaders. And what I realized when, when I was watching this is, oh, none of this is 
even about spirituality, depending on the country you're in, the leaders add things to the religion to manipulate the people all the time. This is this is commonplace that in larger organized religions, what we see of those religions has nothing to do with the mysticism that it originated upon. It should also yeah. be recognized that a lot of that influence is arising in men. Yes. And that, that well, that's habitually and demonstrably male. And that's not to make it exclusive opinion of men. But if you look at who is doing it, the largest number of political leaders and religious leaders tend to be men. And I don't know of any religious sects that are run by women that I could point to and say that they are also changing the rules and manipulating power. Well, I'm going to say that <laughs> women, I love y'all, but. Uh... <laughs> well, I'm not trying to say women are. Here's the thing. Um, it's it's a very it's a small group of men. Let's be more specific. A small group of men yeah. who are supported, either intentionally or unintentionally, either consciously or unconsciously, by the people. Yeah. So yeah. and the and the way that that works is that m- most of these kind of cultures are very depend. They've created this dependency on spirituality. So even if you're not a Christian in Western society, you likely think that the rules of Christianity apply anyway, right? So, you know, that's why homosexuality, even for people who are not Christian, they're still freaking out over homosexuality and gender uh, fluidity and and trans uh, antagonism. There, there's Because at the root of our... Uh, conditioning. We're not always conscious. We're not conscious. It's not like a, we're making a decision every day um, consciously about who we're going to be. Um, one of the exercises we do in the course shows people their bias and people are very surprised at how much bias mm-hmm. they have. And it's inevitable that you see it. Like you cannot, nobody comes into that course and doesn't learn something about their own bias. Um, and that's one of the main things about it that is that it, if the healing in the heal thyself course is the removal of the blinders that get placed on us by the context of our conditioning and, and our social structures and our religious structures. And then into that new awareness comes a whole bunch of new possibilities that you can then take and be, it becomes the toolkit for us to then enter into a new relationship with how life takes place. And it's the unity, it's the healing of ourselves that begins it. But then the, what's the promise of it is that we can deconstruct all of these oppressive forces that have us blinded and confined and limited to uh, like this boxed in thinking. And we're not like that. We're these amazing creatures. We're these wild creatures who can create this amazing yes. possibility of heaven on earth. And, and so that's, it's, just, it's this, like birth. It's painful. This is why I think history is so important and bringing in incorporating other stories. It doesn't matter to me whether you believe every single detail of every story. It's enough for me um, to, to re that if people realize 
oh, these are things we were told in school as if they were absolutely true. And here's (laughs) someone else coming along and saying, no, this also might be true. And in addition, this is what I was taught by my ancestors. Uh, This is the history that I learned uh, from my culture. And let that be, I'm a little bit Buddhist, I think. I'm, I'm not Buddhist officially, but I'm a little bit Buddhist. I'm, I'm very much interested in people questioning what they're told by authority because the, the authority has, an, has a, an agenda and it's usually about power and money. One of the biggest arguments Greg and I had at the beginning of this podcast was the result of me trying my best to relate the 15,000-year historical overview that Impu mm. Seba Kamut gave us. And he he immediately was like, well, what about – And of no, course, this is what I was saying, is that it is a written history. So just as I question the eighth-grade history book that has nothing in it about Latin American culture and history – I'm questioning anything written because I believe Greg, you were an outlier that is unusual. And that is not what students are taught to do. Children are taught to believe what they read. That's the Uh, whole, why would you go to school to learn something if you're not supposed to believe what you learn? I mean, that's what learning is supposed to be. It's the gathering of information that's supposed to be true. So you don't go in thinking they're going to lie to you. Unless, unless you've had parents or someone else who teaches you to be more, more inquisitive or, or challenging. And if you do, you're going to get a bad grade in the class. <laughs> you're punished for it. Yeah. Right. So, um, and, and it is not just about giving credit to, uh, other cultures for what they've brought to humanity. It's also about this dumbing down. Uh, white supremacy and white privilege dumb down white people. It it makes white people um, isolate themselves in more than one way. And then they fear everything they've I- isolated themselves from. Um, we were, we were just sort of thinking, just thinking about going to a, a an animal shelter the other day to, uh, to get an animal, we decided against it. We're going to wait, but <laughs> they t- they told us that black dogs and black cats almost never get adopted. What? They almost always end up having to put down. So it's not you know this idea of blackness um, had to be instituted across the board. Blackness means evil. Blackness is darkness. Darkness is bad because you can't see, uh, and your and your other senses are, are you've not been taught to use your other senses. Your hearing is not as good as your sight. Your smell is not as good as your sight, unless you missing unless you don't have one of those, right? So, right. you know, we're we're not taught to be multisensory. In fact, we're taught to not feel. Right. So uh, to be in a position where your, your sensations get uh, triggered or raised, that's automatically danger. That's what we're taught. Right. There's so so much more to being human than fear response. Like we're such, we're capable of so much rich enjoyment 
right? And we just get little glimpses Absolutely. of it, like music or food or, you know, what what's what stands for sex in our culture, which is barely sex. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> Don't even get me started. <laughs> I mean, oh, let's go then. In the so-called, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, most women are not having orgasms. And and there are organizations of men who call themselves involuntarily celibate. What the hell? (laughs) You know, like, how are we free? How How is this it? Well, and this is what's so important about Heal Thyself, because it is the gateway for us to, to take a more active role and to actually know, like most people are like, what do I do about these, these people that were murdered, these children that were murdered? I don't know what to do. What do I do about racial injustice? What do I do? Well, one of the things that you heal uh, in this course is your doubt and, un- and misunderstanding of your inability to do anything about it. You suddenly become presented with the very real and uncomfortable proposition that it's you are playing a direct role in it. Even if your role is in action, you're still playing a, a powerful role in it. And it, go ahead, Greg. Well, I think like since you brought up the school shooting, part of what resonates for me very immediately in learning the news is the pain that gentleman was in yeah. in order to do that. Like, yes. That is so removed from nature. Yes. And and, and, that- and then think about if you if you look at the statistics that we first of all, we've had more than 200 in this year alone. Last yeah. year, more than six, almost 700 last year uh, of mass shootings. Yeah. Um, this year, we've had 27 school shootings alone. 27. Right, and most of those shooters. Like- yeah. Most of those shooters were young white men. What is happening? Well, that's the other thing that that I see a stat put up is like it'll show a man of color who's dead and it mm-hmm. was armed and then a white man who was armed and he's alive in jail. And they're, you know? they're offering him a cheeseburger on the way to jail. Yeah. So <laughs> this that... is the kind of things that, that, that are happening. And this guy, this time, apparently they followed him for an – they were – following him to the school, the police. Really? Yes. They were, they were, they knew about his plan and they were uh, chasing him and he was going towards the school and they didn't actually get him until, I mean, an hour, an hour after they began pursuing him. Yeah, that I did. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, you know, it's, and he's he's a, a man of color. He's a young man of color. Um, I, I just I just think in general our men are in trouble. Our men are in trouble, and I think you know when we talk about white supremacy, I think of it as a as a, a programming. I think of it also as a system of of institutions that promote and propagate that programming. And part of that is the education that we're taught in schools that prime us to be insensitive to all of this. And uh, when I, a a couple of years ago, 
um, my cousin was killed by he was he was arrested for a warrant for child support delinquency um, that he had already paid off, but they hadn't released the warrant. And so and by the way, he was dating a white woman who was an ex-wife of a cop and living in Southern Missouri. So, you know, where there's a lot of uh, pretty serious racism there and uh, small town, you know. So he had been pulled over about 10 times in the month before this particular incident. They uh, pulled him over this time and arrested him. He was a severe diabetic and they refused him his medication all weekend long held him over. It was a Friday when they arrested him and it was too late for an arraignment. So they held him over the weekend. He begged for his medication. They didn't give it to him. He went into diabetic shock. His, uh, his sugar levels were something like five times the, the limit to be able to survive. And they told him he was faking. They did not get him medical help. The medical help on the premises and an emergency center right across the the street. So after that happened, I started talking about this stuff online. Um, This was not my my mission in life. I don't like talking about this stuff. I I don't enjoy it at all. It's for me. I I I don't get any pleasure or satisfaction out of having these conversations. However, you know, when this happened to my cousin. All of a sudden, we were we were trying to to uh, publicize the story so we could get some legal help, and it kind of went semi-viral. And and when you have that happen, you get exposure to a lot of people, right? So I'm getting hundreds and hundreds of people responding in the comments of the posts, and they're saying the and you can really identify based on race what they're going to say. After, after a couple of days of it, you realize it was all white people saying, well, maybe he, maybe he, sh- maybe he uh, shouldn't have, maybe he should have paid his, his uh, child support on time. Well, he'd been laid off from his job and he paid it back as soon as he could. And how does that, how, what, what does that have to do with him being dead right now? Right. right. Lots of people get behind on their child support and that's not a death sentence. And you go to court for that, <laughs> you know? So you know, but this was like a, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people were playing this down and trying to make excuses for why this happened and blaming him. And then they were blaming the mothers of his children for, uh, because it was them that he owed that money to. Um, and they too were, were villainized. Uh, anything but villainize the, the hero the cops, right? Because at a very young age, again, we're taught this is one of those careers that you that you take if you're going to be a hero. You become a fireman, a cop, a doctor. You're going to save people, right? <laughs> but historically, them, right? that is not true necessarily. When uh, from the perspective of people of color. You know, in the United States, the police uh, brigades were started as slave patrols. There were no police prior to that. Um, and they're still treating it 
like that. There's a, there's a show. I'm trying to remember if it's on, I want to say it's on HBO. It's called we own this city. And I think it's about Chicago. It's either Chicago or Detroit. One of those two. And it talks about the police department there and, and it shows you how the corruption happens, what's going on in those officers' minds, how they're thinking, um, why they end up. And there's, it's often because of money, poverty, uh, you know, police officers who are, are not making enough money to live off of, can't support their kids, um, are in dangerous situations and communities where drugs are being pumped into the community. Uh, those are not being imported by the way, by the community itself. But when you have teenage boys whose mothers are working three jobs to try and pay the rent and the electricity is off, then they go yeah. do things like this. And um, because they don't feel they have any other options. So, so as we look into these... this, we see all these arrays of issues. We see the mm-hmm. context of it from a conditioning standpoint. We see the context of it from the horrible, you know, gun attacks that are happening and the poverty in our culture and the dysfunction in our culture. And people who are racialized as white have the best chance of going, throwing up their hands and going, what can I do? And they have a safe space to retreat to. It's called white privilege. What heal thyself does is it breaks down that awareness into the fact that you actually can do something. And it takes away the abstract of what can I do question and replaces it with an awareness that you are Part of the problem. We are all in this together. There's no separation. And so if you're using spirituality, God, Zen, anything, yoga to bypass this reality, then you have a privilege that is part of the problem. And so it's an uncomfortable freedom. It's an, a, a dysregulating emancipation. It's an initiation into the discomfort of knowing that you can do something and then having to choose to do something. Well, I, I love the idea of the concept of, of nonviolence. I love that. I love it. It's, it's so, <laughs> such a nice thought, right? Well, it's, but I'm a it did, it did I'm work a well though. in South Africa when um, huh? Tutu became president. Like that was Tutu. The- Mandela. I mean, uh, Bishop Tutu and um, yeah, you're talking Mandela. about the Truth and Reconciliation Council. Okay, but hold on, hold on. I'm sorry to tell you this, but there are still to this day shanty towns full of people who were dissociated from society during apartheid. There's still apartheid. Uh, the idea that this was nonviolent is not true. There was a war. There was a civil war. Millions of people died. <laughs> no, but it's what I'm a, saying is when um, I forget the gentleman's name became president. Mandela. Nelson Mandela. Mandela. Thank you. Nelson Mandela and Bishop Tutu. Like they're just like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi in India. They're, they were approaching change and adhering to a nonviolent action. 
Yes, and. The only reason we don't have slavery today is because of a war. Martin Luther King was assassinated by his own government. (laughs) Gandhi was racist against African people. So, and and you can talk about um, nonviolence in a more you know, Western perspective. And it, and it sounds like a, a fantasy, like a fairy tale, but even thoughts can be violent. Speech can be violent, can cause actual physical harm by way of your influence. Right. Um, I, I, while uh, Martin Luther King talked about nonviolence when he was marching, people were being killed, fire hosed, beaten with clubs yeah. in the streets. Yeah. yeah. And I don't necessarily. And if he were alive today, he'd be disgusted with where we are. With all the work he did, here we are. Yeah, my hope is if he were alive today, we wouldn't be where we are. We'd be better. Yes, that's why he's not alive today. Uh, well, and there's something inherent about pushing it off on Martin Luther King, like as if he's the, the answer. He's not the answer. You and I are the answer. Well, I'm not pushing he, it off. He, doesn't, just... he wasn't anti-confrontation. He wasn't anti-violence uh, to, to the extreme that many white people try and make him out to be. He actually talked about pushing back and conf- confronting these issues. And he knew he actually talked about his death in the weeks prior to it happening because he knew that they were going to get him. And guess what? He had armed security, trained armed security. So this idea that he was completely, you know, docile and passive and without weapons or anything like that is just not true. He had people with guns who were protecting him and still they got him. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't think um, the message has been, I think it's been, been sort of exaggerated and bastardized to try and keep people docile. Um, people use it now just about regular street protests. And a lot of the, the violence that's happening in street protests is not happening by the actual protesters. It's infiltrators who come in to cause problems and then blame it on the protesters. In fact, sometimes it's even uh, plainclothes police officers doing it um, because they know that if they can make people look bad on the other side, (laughs) then it continues, it perpetuates the separation. There was a a very brief period of time in America when uh, there was no such thing as a white person. There was no such thing as whiteness. The reason I use the phrase racialized as white is because that is not who you are. (laughs) That was created so that you and I would not trust each other. It was created so that uh, in the same way, for example, that uh, within the black culture uh, during slavery, the slaves who worked in in the house were separated from the slaves who worked in the field. 
and they were pitted against each other. And the way that they were pitted against each other was that the slaves in the house would be threatened with punishment for uh, in response to the things that the slaves in the field would do. If anybody, for example, was going to run away and you heard about it, if you didn't tell, then you would be punished. In fact, all the slaves would be punished. So it pitted people against each other in a way that was fear-based, right? So it's not just they told us some lies about each other and we believed it. There was actual threat of life. Same thing happened in Europe long before slavery with uh, the witch hunts, right? They pitted people against each other with fear, the threat of death, the threat of torture, the threat of of uh, maiming. And in, in the case of uh, race, the threat of being treated like the African. So there were people who came from Europe who worked in the fields alongside the African people, but they were not enslaved. They could leave if they wanted to leave. However, they owed money to the, the plantation owner. They had to pay back the debt for the journey to the United States. And they've set it up just, just like we got credit today that you never get out of because you're paying interest and you're paying all these fees. The same thing was happening with indentured servitude. It was almost impossible to get out of it. So they started talking to the Africans. We should band together and create something like a union. And we can go up against these people and demand that they pay us properly and that we have better conditions. That's when the um, when Bacon's Rebellion happened. And people like the Irish, um, who were actually considered like the black people of Europe and the Italians, all these people were not considered uh, affluent. They weren't affluent. They were poor people from Europe. And so they were treated in classist ways. All of a sudden now they had an opportunity to not be treated like the last rung on the ladder. And that includes life altering uh, aspects that includes things like what kind of food we have access to, uh, whether how we are treated when we're in disagreement with authority, all all of this stuff that um, you know was causing suffering for poor white people as well. So, wh- what are you going to do? <laughs> You're going to do what you have to do to get a leg up for yourself and your family. Um, and at the time. This is how the separation between, and this was happening also in Europe, by the way, much earlier when uh, the Moors and other African peoples were coming through Europe and they were teaching all of the spiritual practices and everything. By the way, most of the Catholic uh, religion is based on African traditions. The, the, The Pope's pointy hat comes from Upper Egypt. <laughs> so it's one of the exactly. things to notice about this is that Bridge is capable of talking about this and enlightening us and bringing us closer and closer to an awareness. And it actually takes six weeks to just get through the Heal Thyself course. And that's like the most cursory introduction. It's like the the most basic, most foundational, like here's the starter pack, right? And, and the so- fear people have uh, who are racialized as white with stuff like this is they think that 
this kind of work is all about making you feel bad. That's the least of my motivations. Like, I don't need you to feel bad. It, yeah, guilt and shame aren't going to help actually, us. They have to deal with, yeah, yeah the, that, that stuff gets in the way. I was I one of those people less, before actually, I took the course. if you're constantly talking about that. I was one of those people when I took yeah, the course. So for me, yeah. yeah. So for me, it's about uh, realizing that you too are oppressed and that these ways of thinking that you don't even know are in you necessarily um, even if you're a good person, you know, there there are prejudices and biases in you that in a moment, a split second moment where you don't have time to think, if you're in a panic, you may hurt someone. Right. Um, right. It's happened to my own son. I, I, I grew up in a family that really um, convinced their children that if they would get a good education, uh, find a respectable career, uh, a respectable identity, then this was the way that you overcome racism. Um, You move yourself out of the hood. Uh, You buy a nice house with a picket fence and you live that American dream life and then you'll get respect. Well, this is absolutely not true. It's just another model of of the house slave. It's just another yeah. model of the house. Life. I live in a middle class neighborhood because I actually bought into that. And uh, my son at 17 was stalked by an old white lady with her Rottweiler in the middle of the night, hmm. uh, insisting that he show her ID that he actually belongs in this neighborhood. And that happened, you know, seven, eight years ago. Well, fundamentally, we're talking <laughs> you know, about. I, I have a person's desire to have power over another life and not just human, you know, like plants, animals. I Well, to I control that, everything. Right. And that to me, in my experience and what I've heard, that's a human thing. Like that can be found all over the world. There are places where it's not that way, number one. <laughs> and there are, it, to call it a human thing is, it's true to the extent that it is a response to something. It's a very human response to circumstances. It's not natural, though. It's a natural response to something unnatural. Does that make sense? So if if you were being tortured and oppressed all the time, you would behave in ways that indicate that. Just like this kid who shot up the school, uh, we don't think of what he did as natural. But I, I would guarantee you, if you know his story, you could connect the dots that this is just common sense it, that if these things weren't interrupted, this was going to happen. It's right. These things right. are predictable, right? So yeah. uh, a lot of what we're seeing in our society is predictable based on the design of our society. And uh, if, if we were to change how we do society, then we'd see a different thing start to evolve over several generations. And it's already happening, actually. The fact that we're even having this conversation right now says that it's already happening. 
So right. it, there's, it, we have to challenge these things and understand even, even like in the mental health system in this country, uh, we have the DSM, which is a collection. It's a several volumes of uh, listings. It's like the encyclopedia of disorders, yeah, of mental disorders. Yeah, right, well, right. most of those were, were uh, discovered, if you will, <laughs> or, or identified um, through research of white people. That's first of all. Um, secondly, they, they are uh, not taking into account the environment, really. Like they're calling something a disorder when it's probably just a natural reaction to what's happening in that environment. It's natural that you would react that way. Right. Um, so, you know, which dismisses all of the really important, really sustainable change that's possible because we don't want to talk about that. We just want to s- send people to a therapist and let them sit in therapy and gaslight them <laughs> that mm-hmm. they're, their feelings and their impulses are are uh, wrong, which just creates more mental illness, if you ask me. So yeah, because we're trying to push people into a paradigm instead of recognizing the enhanced wildness of human creation and its depth and breadth, right? And it's fear based. The reason we've constructed this yeah. thing is all because we are afraid to lose control or we're afraid civilization will collapse, but we don't have civilization. We none of that's real. It's all a construct that's fed yeah. to us. And and so the invitation is for us yes. is to go deeper into what it is that we the personal agency that we can develop for ourselves and ways to build the connection that will begin to erode some of this wall. I mean, one of the great white centric um, symbols of this is the album Pink Floyd's The Wall. Right. We don't need no education like most white people of my age, 50 or so, understand the context of that that record in this way. But what's beyond the wall? Right. What do I what do I do if I'm out there? And so we need. Go ahead. So the story of the wall. Well, they're not teaching us how to observe and learn from observation. But part of the story of the wall is that that person built their own wall. And at the end, um, the statement I'm going to paraphrase is that here were all these people that loved this individual and they had built a wall and therefore went mad because they didn't interact with that mm-hmm. love that was there for them. Right. And that's the symbolism. We're all building walls around fear. In order to protect ourselves well, fear, from fear. fear. Yeah. Fear and love are very closely related. Right. At least right. love the way most folks define it. I don't define love in the same way most folks do. I define love as the acknowledgement and awareness of oneness, period. That's it. So it's not, you know, about liking who you are or uh, conditional, you know, reciprocity or any of that stuff. It's simply acknowledging that we're one. And from that place, deciding how I'm going to interact with you. Sometimes that means I'm going to set a boundary in our dynamic. Dynamics are not love. Right? So 
what I find interesting. Go ahead. Oh, well, dynamics. Well, it's just how just we choose to interact. Natural... Right, right, right. <laughs> One of the things people yeah. aspire so, to, and that uh, we see in the in the ways that our stories get told in media and various things, is this idea of expansion, of freedom, of breaking out of the 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 issues that we have. And so we we look at at, at movies that are about these concepts and these, these people who step out of their cages and break down their limiting walls. And so we all have this part of ourselves that can relate to it, but we often, many of us won't take the time, energy and investment to enter into the discomfort of what it means to start um, that path, to be on the path of waking up to our wildness, you know, to, to hitting the road of possibilities. And so, you know, one of the tenets of moped outlaws is that, you know what, even if it's, you're just a couple of guys on a moped who are willing to go see the world, you can break free of all of this limited beliefs and all of these, these restrictive paradigms. And what you find out there is that the universe is actually created for us to actually bloom in it's go ahead. I here's So the core of my personal belief is that ultimately I created the paradigms and it wasn't put on me. It wasn't given to me. I created it. And in that responsibility is my path to freedom because that, which yeah, I we created, all are, I we all are creators. Create. We all are creators. However, the the danger is to um, take that perspective and make it isolating. You did not create it alone. It's a great, you're a co-creator. Yes. We, we, you're co-creating. Yeah. Whatever yeah. we experience in our dynamic with each other, we have co-created, which requires us to have – this is why we are able to speak – and communicate so that we can have more uh, cre- more gener- more generative creation with each other, um, and we're still learning how to speak to each other, even and how to interact with each other. That's a part of our ev- evolution: is that we learn along the way how to do it better, how to be co-creators, how to be collaborators in this world. And and we've made a lot of mistakes, but we've also made a lot of progress. And there, there are ways that we may need to slow down a little bit, like with technology and things like that, um, so that we can catch up on the emotional and mental health side of things. But, you know, I mean, if you really think about it, we are violent towards ourselves. We are, we are, you can know very clearly that you shouldn't eat these things over here and you eat them anyway, <laughs> right? Uh, not because yeah. you can't afford to eat anything else, but because they taste good or they remind you of your childhood or, you know, it, it feels good for about 10 minutes uh, to do it. And, and it's because we are under layer upon layer of oppressive conditioning that we do these things to ourselves. So the, the idea that we're going to treat other people better than we treat ourselves. It's, it's a tough one. We really have to address the entire range of, of everything. And that's just going to take time. It just takes time. 
Um, and we have to support each other in it. We have yes. to help each other learn these lessons together. And that's what's so amazing about Remember Institute and about the, the intersection for mankind. And one mm -hmm. of the great treasure troves of my life is that that resource that you've rendered into the physical plane. It, it aligns so well with my heart. And, mm -hmm. and it's both confronting and liberating all at the same time. And that's how I know it's the right thing. Yeah, from from a very young age, I was I was very introverted, and introversions were were uh, rewarded. You know, be, be there, but don't be disruptive. Don't be confrontational. Don't be argumentative. Don't uh, make people uncomfortable. Be polite. You know, all those things that we're women especially are taught in the Western world. But then, if you're black. It's also about, you know, making white people comfortable because white people run things. And so you want to have them on your side. And so I, I grew up that way. And as an adult, um, realizing that there are things that must be said and ways of interacting that must happen for us to be healthy, for me to be healthy, meant that, uh, you know, quite often, because those are common conditionings, uh, people find me triggering because <laughs> I'm going to say the thing. And it's not always about actually what I'm saying, but it's about what they think it means. Um, this is one of the things we, I, I was chuckling about over your, your, the one uh, podcast that I, I listened to. I don't think I'm right. I don't actually care whether I'm right. That's not the point. The point is, there's more than one perspective and we've been taught there's one perspective and that it's all true and it's all uh, authoritative and it's not. And it's far from it, actually. It's very much manipulated. Um, most of what we think we know uh, is, is defining the choices we make. It's defining how we interact with our government. It's defining how we interact with each other. And we don't even know that half that stuff isn't true. <laughs> So um, to disrupt that um, with Heal Thyself, we we talk about some other perspectives. Um, just in the last 10 years, for example, this is going to really make some Jewish folks not happy. But just in the last few years, um, the tombs of the, the, the workers who built the pyramids were found. And they were right there um, in a place of honor with their names listed and how much they were paid. They found the ledgers for their, with their pay. I still believe slavery they was. They were not slaves. But and, and the slavery that did happen, the slavery that did happen was not shadow slavery like what we've seen in the United States where people had no way of getting free. Um, they were probably more like indentured servants. Uh, and had a place in society as well. So, you know, this idea that that um, that what we've been taught should just be taken at face value. I mean, just think about what's happening right now. There's this um, there's this school of thought that is taught in some colleges in race studies, and that is called uh, critical race theory. And basically all it is is teaching how our governmental systems have affected 
people of color and worked against it's very white centric, you know, even though it even, you know, these systems also oppress white people as well, keeps them in the worker class. Most people, you have to like really <laughs> do something spectacular to get out of the working class and become a billionaire or multimillionaire. And um, usually you have to do something that's going to harm somebody else or that's going to cheat someone else out of what they should be getting in reciprocity for their work or their ingenuity. And, uh, but we're not taught all of that. You have to figure it out on your own. So when we see someone who does that, one of the things we think is they're a magician or that they just got lucky or uh, that they just had uh, nepotism or whatever. And that's not always the case. There's a lot of cheating going on because that's what capitalism is. Capitalism requires that you do the math and figure out a way to make the most profit with the least amount of expense, which means you don't pay your people in a way that makes it possible for them to have the kind of life that you would have. And you got to protect yours by having like enough to last for several generations of your family. Right. So this is capitalism. It's not about the well-being of everyone because you only need that worker for a certain length of time. And then you go on to the next worker. <laughs> right. So we are, and this is, that is not about race. Race is not about race. Race is about economics and power. Yeah. Where it started in Europe was, um, from my understanding, <laughs> the way it started in Europe was that the, the uh, Moorish people were teaching the European people alchemy, which was the origins of chemistry. Alchem comes from the word chemet which is the land of the black or the original name of Egypt. And so they were teaching chem alchemy to European people and they were using it in metallurgy and learning how to make uh, what looked like gold, a metal that looked like gold. And it was lowering the, the value of gold in Europe. And they could not have that. The affluent were like, Oh no, no, <laughs> this is evil. This is wizardry. This is devil's work. You cannot trust these people. They are not of God. They are not Christian. You know, this is how They're all not of that in our clubs. They aren't supporting right. our paradigm, right? Our dominance, yes. our our supremacy. Yes. Yeah. Um, what so I'd like to that, do is bring us into a kind of uh, final landing of the plane, a closing of the container. And, and my, my hope is that each of us would offer something um, wild to take away from all of this, <laughs> but I might not get what I want, but um, I'd love to hear from you, Rev and you, Greg, and, and then I'll take us out with something to really, to bring this all in. Oh, I get to start. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I would challenge people to playfully consider that what they think they see, oh, this is great because this is back to the ACIM stuff. Nothing you see is what you think it is. <laughs> I do not and know. And from that place, be, yeah, from that place, be curious and open 
understand that without a shadow of a doubt, you've been lied to and manipulated in so many ways that you're not even completely conscious of all the ways. I, we, we hired a, 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 a trans woman uh, a few months back to, to work one of my courses. And I kept calling her him because physically she presents as traditional male. So I kept calling her him and I had no, like, I don't have any antagonism in, in me about trans people, but that conditioning is in there. And I wasn't even aware that I had that. And we all have this. We all have it. Hmm. And it's uncomfortable. And it means we have to slow down and think more than we like to have to think. We want things to just happen. But it's not, it's, it's worth it, I think, for us to spend a little bit of extra effort, a little bit more of our brain cells on uh, being more dynamic and more curious and uh, more interested in uh, each other. I'll stop there. <laughs> nah. Uh, that's pretty wild. Oh no, this has been a wild episode. So, <laughs> if I was going to bring it to a closure, there's two things that come to mind. One is I just watched Cat Williams' uh, new Netflix special, <laughs> and one of the things he was talking about is science and God. And I love this. He says, "Okay, water." you know that was created by God because we have the recipe and we still can't make it. So <laughs> I love that. And then I think in what we're exploring with the fluidity, the fluidity of gender and sexuality, there is this element of in procreation. There's like, it's just, there's something to that that's part of the whole melding that is happening that I don't grok. I don't, I don't have a consciousness. I just know it's mm. there. And that's it. Mm. So what I'm leaving here with is a sense of love and warmth in my chest for these two human beings that I've shared this time with and for the ever unfolding curiosity that that is part of these relationships and how we can all go forward together discovering this brilliant creation this magnificent gift of life that we've been given <laughs> and so it is the recording stopped